of you for praying for us this week. It was quite a week. As you know, our schedule is very busy. Um, but uh, we definitely feel upheld by God's grace, and we've seen his mercy in every single uh, appointment that we had during the week at the hospital. And uh, uh, God has uh, given us great hope and reason to uh, be at peace in him. So thank you so much, and please continue to be praying for us as we go through this journey uh, together. So we're back in our study of the Gospel of Luke today, and I wonder if you remember when you were a child, thinking about, you know, when you pray to God, maybe it's at night before you go to sleep, it's like, how can God hear all the prayers of all the people around the world all at the same time? And, uh, and how could God help all these people, even, even you? And uh, I wonder if you figured out the answer to the question yet. And I hope you haven't stopped praying just because it's a hard question. But maybe the answer that your parents gave you uh, back then, because he's God, that's how he does it, is probably still the best answer. So let's pray and we'll look at God's word this morning. Lord God, we do thank you for your infinitude, that uh, because of how great and immeasurable you are in your glory, that uh, you can easily hear and attend to all the concerns of all of your people all around the world. And we thank you that we have such a great and glorious God that we can come to and, uh, and know that we are heard and cared for. And we pray this morning that as we look into the scriptures that you would uh, guide us and teach us this morning. Uh, for Jesus' sake, amen. Now, in our story in Luke's gospel today, this dilemma that I just put out there before you, um, we see it worked out actually in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, there's a real, real-life illustration where there are like these two pressing needs uh, coming in, uh, competing with one another upon Jesus. And actually, it would appear even more of a difficult question um, than the general question I asked, how can God hear all your prayers? Because the Son of God was in his incarnate state, right? He was in flesh. And so there are observable space-time limitations to his human nature. And it would seemingly be a limitation to what he could actually accomplish, but in fact, you know, we read in our story, a little girl dies because Jesus gets stuck in a crowd and occupied with healing another woman. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 40 and following, or you can just use the uh, printed uh, version in your, in your worship folder. And we're going to see how great the power of God really is. And we'll read these stories as we go because they're so intertwined. But Luke retells the story of Jairus' daughter and the woman uh, who touched Jesus in order to teach us that faith in Jesus and faith in his saving power is going to restore our life, it's going to grant us peace both now and forever. And that's the lesson that we learned from our passage this morning, is that faith in Jesus and his saving power restores our life and is going to grant us peace both now and forever. And Luke tells the story in such a way that shows that Jesus really can truly satisfy all the needs of all his people, even when they're competing, it seems. And that's a very comforting thought. And so the storyline is very simple. In verses 40 to 42, you know, Jesus responds to this request to come and heal a young girl who's on the verge of death, but then he gets interrupted um, in the midst of it and gets trapped, actually, in, in the midst of a crowd um, and involved in a, in a very urgent healing, it seems, but one of much lesser importance. And then, finally, Jesus arrives, but it's too late uh, to heal the girl. She's already passed on. And uh, so instead, he decides to raise her from the dead. So that's our storyline. So this section in Luke's gospel is very interesting. We started it last week, starting in verse 822. And 
it gets more and more, um, what's the right word, intensified as we go along with these different stories as we, and the claims that they make upon them, the things that we see Jesus doing and, and what he claims upon on our life as a follower of his. And the culmination is Peter's actually statement then in Great Confession in chapter 9, verse 20, where Jesus says to him, says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, the Christ of God. Well, you know, last Sunday, you remember what we looked at there, Jesus on the calming of the storm and then the casting out of the thousands of demons from that demoniac? Well, that showed that he had absolute power over nature and absolute power over demons. Well, today we're going to see Luke continue the same theme that Jesus has absolute power over all diseases and absolute power over death. Our four great enemies, Jesus defeats them. And faith in him and his saving power is what's going to restore our life in the meantime and grant us peace forever. So let's look at this request for healing from the verge of death. It begins in verse 40. So while he was, uh, now when Jesus, here, verse 40, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. Now, before I actually get into the request, um, do you see, I mean, this is the welcoming home of the conquering hero. Somehow word had already gotten around the lake from what he had done over there. And Jesus returns from this boat trip and multitudes are waiting for him. They're anxiously waiting to hear him teach more, see more miracles that he could perform. We don't know exactly which boat trip this is, but in the storyline of Luke, uh, the trip of stilling the storm and casting out thousands of demons, uh, you know, perhaps that word has already gotten around to people. You know, it's not an everyday occurrence. And so Jesus receives this hero's welcome in Luke's gospel. He's hailed as the liberator of the Gerasenes. And, you know, if you weren't here last Sunday to look at that passage, you can easily go back and read it on your own in this section. But then there's this humble request that comes from the synagogue ruler. Jairus is likely the ruler of a synagogue nearby and his hometown. We don't know which town it is. This means that he chaired a committee of about three to, five, three to seven men who would oversee the synagogue services and discipline. And uh, he was, should really be viewed, though, more as a sort of a socially prominent individual. Um, that's who he is. He's not really a religious leader. Um, most religious leaders that we've already met in Luke so far, we know what they think of Jesus. They're offended by him. Um, they reject him. Uh, they oppose him. But Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, and he implores him to come to his house and heal his 12-year-old daughter who's on the verge of death. And, you know, our compassion's aroused as we read the story, too, because, I mean, it's his only daughter. Um, she's very, very near death. The idea here in the text is that she could die at any moment. And, uh, you know, and she's only 12, you know, all the joys of life before her being robbed. So then we remember in Nain, in chapter 7 of Luke, that we read about a widow and her only son. So here we have a man and his only daughter. There we had a, woman, a widow and her only son. And Jesus would raise both of them from the dead. And uh, this is the second resurrection miracle in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke likes to place before his readers, and I've mentioned this over and over again, and you've seen it for yourself, a wide cross-section of people that live in this world. And the reason he does that, again today, is we have, we have a young person, and we have an adult, we have a social leader, and we have a woman who's unclean. 
Well, it's because the gospel is for all sorts of people. It's for all sorts of people in this world. Somebody like you and me. It doesn't matter what your background is, the gospel's for you. It doesn't matter how much sin you have committed in your life, the gospel is for you. And that's Luke's presentation, if you will humble yourself and bow before him. Well, Jesus goes on his way to Jairus' home, but it's hard going because there's a crowd, we notice, and the crowds are pressing in like crowds tend to do, crushing him, and it'll be brought up again in verse 45. And um, it would end up significantly delaying Jesus on his trip to go to Jairus' home and do this urgent healing um, of, his, of his daughter. So then in verses 40 and 42, then we see him responding to this. Now, of course, we've already learned that Jesus does not have to be physically present to heal people. Uh, the centurion, right? The story of him uh, in chapter 7. But we have a lot to learn about Jesus and from Jesus, and so Luke just tells the story the way he does so that we can continue to learn. And we're going to really get two stories in one. We get Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman. And the focus is meant to stay on the, on the 12-year-old girl throughout the story, although most of the space is given to the woman who's bleeding. And, of course, her story has its own significance, but, but that's the supplemental storyline. And we, we, we can put our faith in Jesus for great things, like Jairus does here, um, in humility uh, before him. And know that our Lord is compassionate, but yet in his divine wisdom, he's going to do what he wants to do and what he knows is best for his own glory and our good. And so regardless for the, uh, the immediate outcome for us, uh, through this example of Jairus, we know that by putting our faith in Jesus, um, his saving power is going to restore our lives and bring us peace, uh, both in the present life and in the life to come. But then the tension builds because Jesus gets trapped. And so we read in verses 43 to 48 what happens next. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So the delay of the, of the crowd becomes even greater now that this sick woman interrupts Jesus and, uh, and Jairus. I mean, it's not the best timing to have faith. Right? I mean, you could have at least waited an hour, right? And then found Jesus and take. But, you know, she saw her opportunity, and so she took it. And the woman is healed by Jesus, we see in verses 43 to 44, and then she hides from him um, in verses 45 to 46, and then Jesus pulls her out of the crowd, and she has to give her testimony to the crowd. And so we read that she's been suffering from this bleeding for 12 years. Um, she puts her faith in Jesus, too. Uh, most likely, she's been suffering from some type of a gynecological problem. We don't know for sure. It means that she would be unclean, though, and she would be unable, not just that she's suffering from this disease, uh, but she can't worship with the people of God anymore. Um, that's the way it worked. And that's extra sad. Also, we see that she spent all her money on doctors, and they tried their best, but uh, they couldn't heal her. We read that in Mark. Um, she suffered not only from the discomfort, but also the embarrassment. 
And uh, we have to pity her as well, even though her timing's bad. Uh, Jesus now has two pressing problems on his hands. What's he going to do? Now, Matthew and Mark and the gospel accounts, they replay for us at this point the deliberation that's going on in the mind of the woman. She'd heard of Jesus and his works of power, and so her hopes are raised. But she's going to have to approach Jesus stealthily from behind, it seems. Otherwise, he would likely say no to touching an unclean woman, at least so she reasons to herself. And so she reasons that if I can only touch his clothes. Now, that may sound somewhat superstitious, but maybe not. And even if it is, Jesus is going to oblige her for the moment. But, you know, then again, this kind of power would come forth from Jesus' apostles after his ascension into glory as well. In Acts chapter 5, we read, And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But some of the rest dared to associate with them. None of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. To such an extent that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and pillars and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. And also the people from the cities of the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were being healed. And later on in Acts chapter 19, we read, And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. You see, it's about God's power and how he wants to make it known. It's not about some magical methodology, and there have been charlatans down through the ages that try to come up with the formulas. But the outcome, simply put, is that this woman is healed immediately, we read here in verse 43 to 45. Once she touched him, she immediately, her, the flow ceased. And this immediacy of Jesus' healing is emphasized again in verse 47, and then again um, at the end when Jairus' daughter is healed, in verse 55. But the woman is, is hiding from Jesus, and so we read, Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounded you and you're pressing in on you. But Jesus says, someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out of me. So Jesus has plans for this woman. Um, the personal encounter with, her, her, with him and with the crowd. So in other words, he's saying, well, you know, not so fast. Um, someone touched me. And the woman was likely terrified at this point and tries to bury herself even deeper into the crowd. He knows who touched him. He knows who touched him in faith, and she knows that he knows that she touched him. Everybody around Jesus denies it. Peter, of course, the smart one in the group, always rebukes Jesus for things, it seems. And so he rebukes Jesus. It's like, this is a crowd. Of course somebody touched you. Don't be so touchy, right? So who cares? We're supposed to be hurrying, remember? We're on the way to heal this girl before she dies. Well, Jesus then announces that he sensed power go out from himself, healing at work in this woman of faith. It's not that Jesus' power is some kind of a consumable product, but, or that he's somehow unaware of what's really going on. And don't be confused, it's Jesus himself who actually performs the healing. And remember, you know, many people touch Jesus, even in that crowd, and they weren't healed. And there are many people who never touched him, and he healed them. 
It's a statement being made on, with the intention of uncovering the woman who's hiding in the crowd. And she gets revealed by Jesus. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So she knows that he knows that she touched him. And according to Mark's gospel, Jesus is actually looking around in the crowd to pick her up. And so she realizes there's no escape. And so she comes forward and she falls down at Jesus' feet, trembling and confesses that she's the one. Did you notice how many people are falling down before Jesus in this chapter? The demoniac falls down before Jesus. Jairus fell down before Jesus in our story. Now she does. The healed woman, she doesn't know what Jesus is going to say or do. She's terrified before him and the crowd. She's begging for mercy. And so she tells the crowd exactly what she did, why she did it, and what happened. And she gave her testimony. And Jesus' purpose is accomplished. She testifies to the crowd and the world now about Jesus. And the words that he would speak to her in verse 48 are the same in the same manner for all to hear, Jesus called her daughter, a term of comfort and endearment and of restoration. Literally, he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's exactly the same thing, remember, that he said to the sinful woman in chapter 7, verse 50, who was anointing Jesus' feet at Simon the Pharisee's party that Jesus went to. And he said the same thing to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The play on words here between your faith is saved or your faith has made you well, the Greek can be translated either way. It's a play on words, it's intentional, it has a lot of meaning behind it because physical health and restoration are an illustration for us of spiritual health and, rest and restoration because of faith in Jesus. And we've been paying close attention to the Gospel of Luke, so we know the conclusion that we should draw when we read these kinds of stories and these conclusions. She was saved spiritually. Her sins were forgiven, and she is at peace with God. Jesus gives the woman a final blessing, confirming her new status with the word peace. Not only is her situation now one of peace in the sense that her body's at peace, not bleeding anymore, but she's at peace with God, and God is at peace with her. And so she can go as a changed woman and live her life in the realm of divine peacefulness and hope for all eternity. Yes, Jesus gets trapped and involved in urgent but lesser healing, but this is an awesome healing too. I mean, what agony of life can be changed in one moment with Jesus? You know, that's all it takes for you to have your life completely turned around is one moment with Jesus to fall down at his feet and to worship him and put your faith in him, to repent and to believe in him. Have you done that? And it shows yet again that this faith in Jesus this, and in his saving power is going to restore our lives. And it's going to bring a great peace that just uh, envelops our whole life, both in this present life and the life to come. Well, we probably shouldn't spend too much time here because this girl might die. Um, I mean, what about the delay? I mean, the disciples have got to be getting really antsy. Jairus, of course, is very nervous about this whole situation. I mean, the little girl's dying. I mean, obviously the woman is okay, so let's move on, Jesus. Let's get to the house. But it's too late because here they come, and they show up. 
Verse 49, well, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So some people who had been watching over the little girl uh, come and tell Jesus and Jairus that the bad news, his daughter's died, there's no need to trouble the teacher any longer, there's nothing he can do. Uh, Jesus delayed too long, the little girl is dead, it's a hopeless situation, there's nothing really to do now but be sad. And as Jesus hears the comment, and obviously he can see the fallen countenance of Jairus and the disappointment in his disciples as well, and he says these, these words of faith immediately in the midst of their comments of unfaith, Jesus simply insists that you need to be patient and uh, do not fear, have faith. She will be saved. She will be made well. You see, death is not a problem for Jesus. He'll just simply raise her from the dead. And so we read about the resurrection then in verses 51 and following. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she's not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So Jesus selects his witnesses, Peter, John, and James, the inner three. And compassionately, he picks her parents. They're going to get to observe this miracle. And Peter, James, and John are the inner three, and they get to observe a lot of interesting things that the others don't. Um, Later on in the gospel, well, they get to observe the transfiguration of Jesus. Um, They'll observe, they'll be involved in Gethsemane, but that'll come up later, later on. But at the home, the crowd of mourners have already gathered around, and so it's not just family and friends that are sad for the girl because, you know, they were expecting her to die any moment anyway. That's why they're already there. But the hired mourners, too, which would be part of the culture, and people would be hired to be there. And Jesus announces to them that the girl's not actually dead, he says, but she only sleeps. Now, of course, he's not correcting them. She is dead. Um, she's not sleeping, or she's not in some kind of a coma or something. It's an ancient metaphor. It's a metaphor we even use. Um, and it's a really good metaphor, actually. Um, and in this case, even more so, because he's going to wake her from the dead. But sleep's a great term. It's one of faith and hope um, because our bodies will be alive again in the resurrection glory to come. When we die, our spirits, of course, go immediately to be with God while our bodies appear to only be sleeping. And, of course, there's a resurrection of unbelievers to judgment too, but you know that's a whole other story. But upon their death, their souls go immediately to hell and their bodies will be raised later on for further punishment. But that's a different story. So they laugh at him you know, in derision and disgust at this healer man. I mean, how disrespectful to walk into this home when this little girl has just died and to announce, oh, she's not really dead. But joy's coming and faith's going to have the last laugh. There would not be a funeral this day, but the girl would be raised from the dead. And so in the room of the little girl with five chosen witnesses, Jesus performs another resurrection. If you look back in chapter 7, verse 14, you see the raising of the only son of the widow of Nain, and he came up and touched the coffin, 
And the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Well, so now Jesus takes the hand of the little girl and just simply says, Child, arise. Mark has the Aramaic for you. But her spirit returns, and she gets up, and she walks, Mark says. And again, we have to point out, all this is done simply and immediately at Jesus' words. That's great Lucan style, right? That's how Luke tells the stories. Immediately, it happens. And so Jesus has absolute power over death, over disease, over, like, just like he did over the demons and, and over nature in the last episode. All these enemies that we fear, he has conquered them. Her eating of the food, it just pro- proves the extent of the miracle. I mean, her life's fully restored. And her parents are amazed, just like many, many people in Luke so far have been amazed. Everyone we turn to seems to be amazed at Jesus um, in this episode as well. And he instructs the parents to tell no one what happened. Now, the crowd outside is going to see in a minute, anyway, what happened. It's going to be hard to keep this one a secret. Uh, you know, Matthew informs us that this news went out into all the land in his gospel. Uh, perhaps the idea is to keep the fine details of the resurrection miracle a secret. Surely it's to preserve um, premature and misguided thoughts about from, from the population, right? Because it's not that Jesus is just a miracle worker, and now, you know, he's going to go around, he's going to go around every single day and raise people daily from the dead on request. He's not going to be doing that. And so he wants to keep it quote, a secret. Now, we can't always determine the reasons behind Jesus telling some people, go tell people, and then other people, don't tell anybody. But perhaps here there's even a hint of the fact that, you know, the crowds were so uh, snide to him when he arrived that they don't deserve to know anyway, so don't tell them. So maybe that's what he's talking about. But Jesus arrives too late to heal, but he raises from the dead instead. Nothing, not even time and distance, prevents Jesus from divine accomplishments and his purposes. This little girl's resurrection, though, it's important to realize, is not a resurrection unto glory. We have to understand. I mean, it was certainly a glorious resurrection, make no mistake about it, but she would die again, um, in perhaps in old age, uh, awaiting the glorious resurrection at the end of time that this lesser one actually promised. In fact, she would live her whole life being an object lesson of this hope that we have. And she would tell her story. I mean, how cool is that? The ultimate faith and hope in her story for us is the resurrection unto glory at the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's going to be a resurrection patterned after Jesus' own resurrection from the dead for those who believe in him. And that will be a life of full restoration and peace forevermore. So there are four conclusions I want to draw our attention to out of this passage if you haven't noticed them already. First of all, Jesus can meet all the needs of all his people. You know, it wasn't a problem when he was walking on the earth, so much less now so that he's reigning from heavenly glory. He's inexhaustible in his graces and his mercies. He's the divine son of God. So first of all, Jesus can meet all the needs of all his people. Secondly, he deals with all the threats to humanity and to us in our lives. And that's another conclusion that we should draw really from just meditating on the last two weeks of stories, all four of these stories. I mean, last Sunday we saw that Jesus had absolute power over nature and demons. A violent storm threatened his disciples, and just at a word, Jesus calmed the storm. 
And then, uh, you know, remember the guys in the boat, they're trying to figure out who he is. And then as soon as they land, a demoniac shows up and says, Jesus, son of the most high God. So he tells them exactly who he is, right? But then Jesus frees this man from his bondage and his word, and they disappear. Well, this Sunday we saw that Jesus has absolute power over disease and death. A woman suffering is healed instantly, who's been suffering for years. And then a dying girl who's raised instantly by Jesus' word to her. So the question is, would you put your faith in Jesus? In whom all needs are met? All enemies are conquered? All fears are removed? You know, faith in Jesus and in his power to save, it'll bring restoration into your life and peace, both for now and forevermore. Third, Jesus really is compassionate towards those who put their faith in him. He's going to answer the many prayers of heartbreak and desperation like we read about in our story today. He likes hearing those prayers. However, he'll most often not answer them in the ways that we see here. I mean, this was a unique stage in the history of redemption, but he might. But we should remember, you know, there were many, many more people that Jesus didn't actually bring the healing into their life at the time, even when he was here on earth. Besides, you know, this healed woman, the resurrected girl, they're not, they're looking way beyond their immediate blessings anyway than just what Jesus did for them in those simple things. For surely they would be beset with many other frailties of life. I mean, who knew? I mean, maybe the woman who got healed from the hemorrhage had a headache on the way home. I mean, they're still part of this world. And they would be greatly anticipating a much fuller restoration day. They knew that this was just a sign of what was to come. Jesus certainly is not going to make our lives perfect from our limited perspective and wisdom. And besides, you know, that's not what true disciples want out of him anyway. That's all you want out of Jesus, probably not a true follower. We want his perfect plan for our lives, whatever that is, whatever it entails. And it's going to be one that's going to be filled with restoration and peace on the journey and restoration and peace at the end. And we'll take this work of his that we read about here um, and take encouragement from this passage and, and put it to work for our own souls and strengthen our hope. You know, that's, that's what you have to do with this text, you know. So you have to take it personally home with you. And in your prayer time, you need to do the work of faith through prayer and pray until you understand the compassion that Jesus has for you. And then finally, Jesus has conquered death, sin, and hell for us who believe, the greatest enemies of all. By his cross and his resurrection, death for the Christian, though it's still our enemy, uh, is going to, has been defeated forever. Um, and when Jesus returns, it's all over. The gospel promises us Glory spiritually and physically, our future resurrection is going to heal all of our problems, fully and finally. Um, it's a permanent solution uh, when, when that comes. This is the permanent solution. And we can wait with eagerness and patience for the resurrection day. Another story in the Gospel of John, it says this, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me 
shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do believe this. And we believe that you are the one who has all power over nature and demons and absolute power over disease and death and that you are the one that has compassion on our lives, that you are the one who can hear all the prayers of all your people, that you attend to our needs, that you do bring healings into our lives that are just miraculous and unexplainable at times, and other times you bring healing in so many different ways. And ultimately, we look forward to the day of resurrection glory and final healing in that day. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you are our Savior, and uh, we pray all these things for your namesake and your glory. Amen.